for the reading of the Word of God, would you take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke in chapter number 2 this morning. We'd like to read responsibly the first 20 verses of the Scripture. Allow me to begin in verse number 1, and I will read the succeeding odd-numbered verses through verse number 19. Would you read with me, please, verse number 2, along with the succeeding even-numbered verses through verse number 20. Once again, the Christmas story is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and reading responsively. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were yet there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. May God add his blessings in the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you take this very familiar story to most everyone within the sound of this voice. Speak to our hearts afresh and anew in a different way than ever before in regards to the little things found in the Christmas story. Lord, if there be one here that needs to know Christ as their Savior, maybe they know him intellectually in the head, but they never received him in, your, in their heart. Lord, do a work of grace in their heart and life, I pray this morning. We'll thank you for it. Bless the children that are here. Bless the junior church as well and the beginner church. Lord, may it be said by all that it was good to be underneath the preaching of the gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Luke chapter 2, last Sunday we were in Luke, Matthew chapter 2, of course, the story of the wise men. 
I know these stories are familiar to most Christians, of course. But I want to look at this story maybe in a different light than you've ever seen it before. I draw your attention to our one text verse. It's really touched on in verse number four it is. But it's really a text verse from Micah chapter five, verse two that I'll quote to you in just a moment. The Old Testament reference to verse four. The Bible says in Joseph... Luke 2, 4. And Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city, city of Nazareth, a despised town, into Judea, 90 miles south, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Oh, it's famous now. We know it today. But Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, almost 500 years earlier, said, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, or Bethlehem in the land of Ephraim, or Israel. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet shall out of these come forth a ruler that shall be ruler of Israel, even from whose going forth is from everlasting to everlasting. On the night of the most, of more grander than that of the creation of the universe itself, the night that the Creator became a babe in a manger, it's fitting that as the creator could only do, that he chose a series of little things, little incidents, little tasks, with little people, little places, to give the greatest story ever told. God used little things. Let's never not underestimate the power of the littlest in the making of the biggest, most important event in in eternity. You see, the babe in the manger the angel said to the shepherds, you shall find a babe lying in a manger. The babe, the little babe in the manger. The babe in the manger, 30 years later, would give his thesis statement for, in 10 words why he came to planet Earth. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The babe in the manger came to, was born to die. He came to be the savior of mankind, the savior of your soul. The greatest event in all of eternity it's the fact that Christ sent forth his son to be born of a woman, brought him to the manger, and uh, lived that perfect life. But salvation is not in the, the birth of Christ. Salvation is in his, 33 years later, his death on the cross, his sacrificial atonement on the cross, his burial, his resurrection from the grave. But this begins the greatest story ever told, and it's told with little things. I want to give you this message proper, as I like to call it, four huge truths, four huge truths about little, little things. First of all, I want you to notice verse number four as we begin once again, and Joseph, the Bible says. Well, we know that name, Joseph. Now many millions of men have been named Joe or Joseph. Many cases, and they don't realize it, but they were named after this Joseph. And it reminds me, the Bible says that Joseph from a little despised place called Galilee in northern Israel. Galilee, Israel is about the size of New Jersey, of course. Northern Jersey or northern Israel. In Galilee, in the city of Nazareth. I've been there, done that. Been to Nazareth. is a dirty town today. No offense, but I'm just being honest. It's a hill town. It's a mountainous town. In the city of Nazareth. He came to Judea, the southern part, 90 miles south of Jerusalem, or rather of Nazareth. He came to the city of David, to the city, of, a city called Bethlehem. 
I want you to notice that first of all this morning, I want to give you encouragement this morning that God uses little people. Joseph was, I don't know how big his stature was, but as far as being a man of notoriety, he wasn't. I want you to notice in verse number eight, it says these words. And there were in the same country shepherds. We'll talk about shepherds in just a moment. Abiding in the field. Night workers, third shifters. Keeping watch over their flock by night. Three things about God using little people. First of all, I want you to know that just, God uses just regular ones. Regular people, just everyday normal people like you and me. That's who God chooses to use. The God of all the universe used real people, real parents in the case of Joseph and Mary. We, there are many, millions upon millions of Marys around planet Earth, around uh, this globe this morning, named after this Mary here. And we think of Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mother. But I want you to know that Mary probably at this time was, a, we almost undoubtedly know she was a teenager, Probably a young teenager. And at this point in time, nobody had ever been born that wasn't born. There's no such thing as somebody being born by a virgin. Never happened. Only it's happened once in all of human history. It happened maybe nine months ago before this event here in Luke chapter 2. But Mary, she was despised. She was a teenage parent accused of playing around, accused of being a, to use modern slang language, being a tramp. Guilty, by the way, of punishment, even by stoning. Joseph, good old Joe, these teenage boys that claimed that she was, the child within her was virgin born. Yeah, right. We've never heard that one before. That's never happened before. These despised teenage kids from a Galilean town called Nazareth, a town where Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? They were from the other side of the tracks, pardon the language. They were tramps. They were kids. They made the journey 90 miles south. Out of all the people God chose to use, he used these little teenage parents. I want to ask you to raise your hand. I'm wondering how many teenage parents we have here or had here. Maybe you messed up use slang language again. These poor kids from Galilee, they, it's amazing who God uses. I think my mom and dad, and uh, they celebrated their 63rd wedding anniversary two weeks ago now, I guess December 1st to be exact. And uh, I've told the story many times. Never been spoken about one time. I, I know we'll go to the grave, each other. We're never speaking about it. But my mom and dad had to get married little town called Rock Creek, Ohio. Little barn there. I can still see it. My grandmother and grandfather died when I was 15 years of age. My dad's mom and dad, of course. And uh, the house is still there. It's been run over, dilapidated. There's probably trees going through, no joke. It's just a fallen apart house. It's still standing last time I checked. But it hasn't been inhabited for 30 plus years. Next to it is an old barn. And dad, as a 19-year-old boy, I remember seeing it just one time in my life inside the barn, the second floor hayloft. He got some two-by-fours and he started building his, his uh, house for his home, that, for his new uh, wife-to-be. They never lived in there. Instead, they, they got to go uptown. They got to live in the kitchen of the broken-down kitchen of my mom's mom and dad house. We had no plumbing back in those days. We had an outhouse back in those days. 
and they lived in the, the broken down kitchen that didn't work. That was their bedroom, and that was where I grew up, and my sister grew up, of course, and we didn't know, we, we were poor, but we didn't know we were poor, and it was good. You know, we, we had a, by the way, I had a wonderful upbringing, by the way, but I just, just regular parents, real parents. Jesus would have real parents. He was raised, he was under discipline of uh, real parents, but of course they had a perfect kid in Jesus, but he was the firstborn, they had six more kids, the Bible tells us later on. But I want you to know that God uses just regular people, regular parents, regular everyday ordinary people, many of them that have messed up, of course. But not only does God use in his great, grand economy of great bigness and great things, does he use little people, just regular people, but he uses, always uses humble ones, humble people, the shepherds. Again, I've been to Israel for 10 days. My wife and I got the privilege of going four years ago now, I guess it's been. And we saw the Judean shepherds. Now, we were coming into Jerusalem. And uh, Jerusalem is like a nice town by our standards, of course, like any other town here in Connecticut, whether it be in Newington or Waterbury or Torrington, what have you. But uh, outside the city were nomadic traveling bands of caravans of 10 cities. We would call them homeless people. And we saw just over the hillside, as we came around, it was just kind of a shocking sight to see Shepherds and men in shepherds' clothing, and staffs and dogs, dirty dogs. And I could swear through the tour bus that we could smell the stench in the air by these shepherds. It's interesting that the very first guest, the very first guest that the angels of heaven called to the worship of the king of the universe was the simple, little, insignificant, lower class, lower case, lower caste rather, excuse me, simple Farmers, farmhands. How many grew up out in the country out here? But I'm just curious how many country people we have. Just a handful. But uh, kind of a simple life. Shepherds, and as I said earlier, just moments ago, I don't mean to be derogatory. I'm, not trying to, I'm just trying to be accurate. They, among other things, shepherds smell. They stink. These are not people of refinery. These are people that work with farm animals and and having taken baths or showers, no such thing as that, in many cases, months of time. It's interesting that in the greatest story ever told, that the Lord used just regular people, despised husband and wife, despised with child, this, this, yeah, you're a virgin, right, we believe that one. That's who God used. God's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God chose the humble to confound the things that be mighty. God uses just regular little people, just regular ones, just humble ones, but never haughty ones. God resists the problem, gives grace to the humble. Nowhere is it mentioned in the, the, the account of the birth of the Savior is any religious Pharisee brought up. You know why? Because they weren't there. The religious crowd wasn't there. You see, the Pharisees, they were the religious crowd of the day. They were the Ivy League of the day. No offense to Ivy Leaguers. But they were the rich of the day. They were the elite of the day. They were the educated, the ruling class of the day. And yet there is to not hear glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I imagine that, that shouting, that voice that came from heaven, that, that it was loud and those angels heard it and they were, those shepherds heard it and wondered why everybody else around didn't hear it. I, this is my Marty Shot theory, I don't know. Maybe God just closed their eyes to the next door neighbors. 
or the Pharisees, or people around, the religious crowd that was around, but he let the, he let the, the, the shepherds hear the noise, hear the glory to God. You see, the greatest news that this world has ever did receive did not come to the ears of the rich, did not come to the ears of the wise or the noble or the mighty, but rather to little, insignificant, out of the way, not even thought of, in this case, sheep herders. Do you ever stop and ask yourself the question, I'm talking to you, that have been gloriously, undeservingly saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? There was a time in your life when you saw yourself as a sinner, lost, on your way to hell, and rightfully so. But the grace of God reached down to you. Why you? Why not your neighbor? better than you, your brother, your sister, your kin. Why in God's marvelous, infinite, matchless grace did he come down and reach down and pick up a soul and set your feet on a rock and step as you're going? Why did he save you? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught or nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. These shepherds had no glory in themselves. They gave great glory to the God of heaven. They gave, gave glory and they, they, they pointed everybody to the Christ child. You know, throughout scripture, it's interesting. God chooses little people to do great things. He chose a little boy named David. Only a boy named David. Only a little stone. Remember the story, the song, the song the kids sang? Only a shepherd boy to kill the Goliath, to kill the giant Goliath. God used Gideon, the coward farmer, hiding behind the threshing floor, to raise up 300, Gideon's 300. He had 32,000 at one time, and that was too many. Then 10,000, then 300. God used him to destroy the army of the Midianites, 135,000 strong. God used a little Hebrew boy in the cradle ark of the bulrushes in the River Nile, dropped off to hopefully miraculously live by his poor mother, Jochebed. God used that little Hebrew boy to, 80 years it took, to deliver Israel out of Egypt, out of 400 years of bondage. You see, all the Bible is filled with little people accomplishing impossible tasks. A little boy with his lunchbox of five loaves and two fishes fed 5,000. The little woman possessed with the seven devils, the Bible says, anointed to feed with Jesus. And wherever the gospel is preached, it's to be spread abroad that she hath done this for the Lord Jesus. When Jesus was asked the question, who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He beckoned a little child to come, a little infant, to sit on his lap. He said, except you be converted and become his little child, and she'll know keys in the kingdom of heaven. You see, in the Christmas story, God delights to use little people, or delighted to use little people, just regular ones, always only humble ones, never haughty ones, to usher into, the presence, into his presence his earthly triumphal entry, the coming of the Christ child. God uses little people. I'm thankful for that. Most of us will never have our name in lights. Most of us don't want our name in lights. <laughs> we 
just little people like a Joseph and a Mary, like a shepherd, dirty shepherds, stinking shepherds, just little regular people, never the high and mighty, never the Pharisee, never the highly religious person in religiosity or their self-righteousness. So God uses little people. We see it throughout the, the whole Bible, and especially in this story of the Christmas account of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then I want you to notice verse 4 one more time again. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. Verse 7 says these words, And she brought forth her firstborn son. Notice it says firstborn. Mary wasn't always a virgin. She's great as a mother, blessed as a mother who has, her, uh, has a quiver full of children. That's a wonderful blessing. It's from God. The Bible says that she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. We always think of that, that wood manger, that barn, open-door barn that we have for manger scenes. And it could have been that. It's very possible that it could have been, but probably not. The manger that probably they laid in was a cave hidden. You go to Bethlehem, and there's thousands of caves and hillsides. And they, 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 they laid him in a cave, maybe one candlelight. They laid him in a manger. They went to a small, insignificant, out-of-the-way town. They laid him in a manger. Verse number 12, it says this, And she sh- this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, again lying in a manger. God not only uses little people, but God uses little places. Back to verse number 4 for a moment. You see, Bethlehem, and I quoted Micah 5, 2, the prophecy given 500 years before. Bethlehem was little among the thousands of Judah. It was so little, it was not a ranking place. It was not a place of reputation. People didn't even know where it was at. People in, it's like some places in Connecticut. I've heard of towns that I never even knew existed. How many people have heard of Drakeville before? I mean, come on. Well, you have because you've lived a mile from Drakeville, but the rest of Connecticut doesn't know where Drakeville is. Burville, the population of Burville. Where's Burville? Well, it's across the street, by the way, for the record. But they said, out of all the places, think about it, in the grand economy of the king of all the universe, where would you have your son born at? How about at least Jerusalem? Maybe Caesarea. I've been to Caesarea. You can go there and you can see the ruins of the 40,000-seat Colosseum for the chariot racing and the 3,000-seat amphitheater for the theaters and the plays, and the, the, uh, much like Mars Hill in Athens. You can see the ruins of the great, incredible city architecture of the Roman-built uh, aqueducts and so forth and the palaces. It could have been Jerusalem. It could have been Bet-Shean. If you go to Bet-Shean, which if you go on the Israel tour, you'll go to Bet-Shean, no doubt about it. I've never seen the filthy blasphemy movie that came out 50 years ago or the, the play of Jesus Christ Superstar, but I understand that that play was filmed at Bet-Shean in Israel, of course, and they showed signs and said, that's where this scene was at. Oh, I don't know. I never saw the, never wanted to watch the blasphemy to begin with. But of all these cities, it wasn't in Alexandria, Egypt, the city of great reputation. It wasn't in Athens. It wasn't in Corinth. It wasn't in Rome. It wasn't in a palace that Jesus Christ was birthed in, the king of all glory, the prince of the ages. But he was born in a manger, in a cave, to just real, normal, everyday 
people, uh, teenage parents. It was not this. God uses little people in little places, not not a ranking place. I mean, who, how many people have even heard of New Hartford, for that matter, Connecticut? Let alone, no offense, but when I moved out here from Ohio 37 years ago, I never heard of Torrington, Connecticut. It never made the radar screen. I'm sorry. After I moved out here, I found out my little town of Rock Creek, Ohio, was founded by the Torrington Land Company. How about that? And no joke. But uh, never heard of it. So God didn't use, God oftentimes doesn't use ranking places. He doesn't use, secondly, hardly was Bethlehem or the manger a regal place. It wasn't a royal place. It wasn't Rich Carlton. It wasn't Mary Largo. It was one of the super Hotel Six, for that matter. If you go on the tour, by the way, and I found this out now because I've talked to many people that have gone to Israel 10-day, 11-day tour, and they, they basically, it's kind of like going to Disney World. You know, you do all the, you do this, you kind of go in this big circle. And you'll go to 20 miles north of, on the second day probably of your tour, you'll go to the 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, and there you'll go up to the mountains, about 4,000 feet above elevation, the, the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level. And so you go about 5,000 feet up into the mountains and where Mount Hermon's at. And you'll see snow-capped mountains. And there you'll go to the great resort where Herod, Herod, Herod had his palace and the ruins are still there. And this is where Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 16, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And you'll go to Caesarea and the, the beautiful cliffs that are called. And they used to have a temple that was built into the mountain walls called the gates of hell. And let me explain what, what Caesarea really was, the home of Herod, the, the Tetrarch, of course, the, the, the one that had the, the babies all killed. He lived in the Las Vegas of the day. I'm just being honest with you. It was a wicked town. It was a popular, it was a city with lights. It was Sin City is what it was. And that's where Jesus, where, where everybody, if everybody was famous royalty and regalia, they'd love to go to, be entertained by the Caesars of the world, or the, the Herods of the world, rather. But I want you to know Bethlehem. The manger was not a ranking place. It wasn't a regal place. But then I want you to notice that the little places that God chooses to meet with people and do great things, are, it's not a regal place, not a resting place, but just a, a ranking place, rather, but just a resting place. Psalm 23. The Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't lack for anything. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. We don't know how to be still any longer. The Bible says be still and know that I'm God. It's a foreign concept in our modern day 2019 world that we live in with cell phones and mass media and so forth. Not much quiet. Jesus met when the king of the universe came. He didn't come to the hustle and bustle of Caesarea, to the regality of Jerusalem, or to the, the lights of Athens. He came to a manger, or probably a cave. And he came to some despised people. He came to a resting place. God appears oftentimes in humble places. The Last Supper was held in a borrowed room. The 5,000 were fed on a hillside. One of the greatest miracles recorded in scripture. King David was found in a field, a shepherd's field. Be the king of Jerusalem now for 3,000 years. Many of the epistles were written in dungeons. Our letters to First and Second Timothy and Philippians and others. 
prison epistles, we call them. Moses met God not at the state capital or the, the country's capital, but at the backside of the desert in a, at a burning bush. John Bunyan, well, we don't know who Bun- John Bunyan was, but he wrote one of the greatest pieces of American or English literature ever written. He wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. He used to be, every American knew the Bible and Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote it 13 years in Bedford Prison in England on, on milk bottle stops, little scraps of paper, that great treatise, that great allegory of the Christian faith. D.L. Moody, I've been to Fenuel Hall in Boston many times. Many of you have been there. If you walk about three blocks up the street, you'll come to a little small plaque on a 30-story building today, and it's a little plaque that says, this is the place where D.L. Moody came to know Christ as his Savior in a, in a shoe store by the shoe salesman. I've been to Chicago, Illinois on a number of occasions many years ago now when I was a 20, young 20-something. I got to go to the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission right on Michigan Avenue. It's been long since moved from there. But it's been in existence for about 150 years. The, the you that listen to Christian radio know about Unshackled. It used to broadcast out of the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission in Chicago, Illinois. And one day a drunk baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday walked in. And he had to stay in order to stay and hear the gospel in order to get, the, get a meal to feed his drunk soul. He gloriously saved and became one of the greatest evangelists in American history at a broken-down rescue mission in downtown Chicago. You see, God uses, God appears to in humble places to just regular people. Don't ever discount. For me, there was a little country church I've talked about many times. I go in my mind's eye. I haven't been there in 25 years. I've been outside the, in the gravel parking lot to the New Lime Baptist Church in New Lime, Ohio. You all know where that's at, right? I didn't think so. About the 200-year-old building, the little auditorium, maybe half or about a third of the size of our auditorium here, and those stained glass windows that have been in for well over 100 years, 150 years or so, those hardback pews, and it was at that little place that God met with me. And I went to the back preacher's office, little office cubicle about the size of our piano bay, I suppose. The preacher sat me down and gave me the gospel of Christ. And I was saved. Nobody knew about that from a worldly standpoint. My, my mother was there and, and the preacher knew. And I don't know if the people really cared. No, no offense, but the angel of heaven were rejoicing. God is in the humbling places. He's his regular people. But I want you to notice thirdly, Verse 12 once more in Luke chapter 2. Notice the third little, if you will. And this shall be a sign unto you. This should be verification. Ye shall find the babe. Oh, if you find Jesus, you found it all. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. God uses little people. God uses little places. God uses little things. I love that word swaddling. There's a song that's in my mind. We don't sing it anymore. It's and I won't. I won't torture you. It's a Christmas carol, but I really want to try to torture you. It goes uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Was that beautiful? Yeah, <laughs> that's all the song I can sing. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. 
Thank you so much. I'll take an applause too when I'm teasing. <laughs> Swaddling clothes, grave clothes, strips of rags. You see, Jesus, they didn't have pampers in those days. They had pampers. They weren't able to afford them anyhow. They wrapped their baby, their newborn babe, for obvious reasons in shreds of ruined cloth called swaddling clothes. They laid them in some hay in the manger in the cave. God uses little things. You say, preacher, I don't have much to give. You know, it's interesting but most of us, we would say that we're not, none of us in this room, if I were to ask you, now be honest, how many of you are rich in this world? We wouldn't raise our hand. Now, you know what? Shame on us. We are rich. At least I am. Amen. We've been very blessed. We, we, we're so spoiled, rotten. We have two cars, most of us. Most of us, some of us have three cars. We have not a one-bedroom house. We have a three or four or five-bedroom house. We don't have one bathroom. We have two or three or four bathrooms. We are blessed. We are rich. But we don't think we're rich. We say we're poor. But God uses the little things of this world. He said, I don't have much. Use what you have. Give what you have. The song said, don't give your riches necessarily to the master. Give to the best that you have. Give them what you have. You don't have much. I have to be careful here because some of you old timers would know who I'm talking about. But I, I literally roomed with a, my freshman year in Bible college my roommate, his daddy was responsible, no joke, zero exaggeration, was responsible for bringing in 10,000 people into one church every Sunday. Largest church in America. I'll go as far as to let you know that his first name was John, no joke. John came to college. He was the blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy with a beautiful girlfriend, the cheerleader girlfriend, the 10 suits, 10 suits in the Camaro. His dad was pastor of his mega church back in the 70s. I came from Rock Creek, Ohio. My church graduated from outhouses to plumbing when I was 15 years of age. Our house graduated, same thing when I was 15. Grandma went from the outhouse to plumbing. And I remember those days. I came from the son, I happened to be the son of a carpenter. I say this with humility. I know our church is small. Whatever we have, 100 this morning, whatever we have. But God's allowed me to preach the gospel for a number of years now. I'm thankful for that. John hasn't preached the gospel in 40 years. His daddy was of great means and great, great power and great authority and well-respected in America. Starter of Baba College and tens of thousands of people, really hundreds of thousands of people in America would know his name. He's been in heaven for a number of years now. But God doesn't use the mighty often. Doesn't use the rich very often. He uses just regular, everyday, normal people in out-of-the-way places. I remember when, I'll tell you one more story, it just popped in my head. I walked in, I actually had two roommates from the largest church in America at the time. And uh, it was called First Baptist. Don't ask me where it was at, I'll tell you if you want to know after the service. But uh, they said, we're from, I said, well, where are you guys from? They said, we're from First Baptist Church of such and such a city. I said, oh, I, I, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Marty Shaw. I'm from New Line Baptist Church in New Line, Ohio. They never heard of that. Population 303, you know. God, God didn't meet with them 
By the way, they both got kicked out of college before they graduated. Interesting. But God chooses the small things of the world to confound the wise. Use what you have. Use what you have in your talent. God's not asking you to see how much, much you have. The question is not how much do you have, but how much will you give? Not how much do you have. If I were to ask you, how much talent do you have? Most of you would say, not much. Give what you got. Most of us are regular people again, everyday normal people. I thank God for that talented, that rare talented person that's amongst us, but there's not many. Most of us are just regular, normal, everyday people. But God calls us to use the things that he's, we have to, to, to uh, serve him. I've been to Northfield, Massachusetts on many occasions. You wouldn't even know where Northfield was today, but today there's a multi-billion dollar, million dollar facility there that's bought out by a guy named Green from Hobby Lobby. You might know the name now. He's donated $3 billion to the cause of Christianity. He bought Northfield campus. But there was a little country house on the Northfield campus by the little, little boy that lived there by the name of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody had a third grade education and he was more popular than the presidency of the United States and that's a fact. Being one of the greatest preachers for the 19th century, of course. God's able to use, Moody's grammar was terrible for the record. Billy Sunday never had a day of formal education other than played baseball for pro baseball in the 1890s and 1910s. And he got gloriously saved after becoming a drunk. God used him just the way he was. See, God uses little people and little despised people. He uses little people in out-of-the-way places that have never been heard from the vast majority of people in the places of the world. He uses little things. But lastly, I want you to notice, and we didn't have time to read in our scripture reading, but I wanted to read verse 24 of Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. Just glance at it for time's sake. Let me read the verses and give you the fourth point. It says, verse 21, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, that's Jehovah Saves, which was so named by the angel, or the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, that's 40 days, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And... uh, as the custom was, as was written in the law, verse 23, verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves. Two turtle doves. You want me to sing again here? And a partridge. No, I better not sing. But we know the song. A pair of turtle doves. I want you to notice that God uses little tasks. Little tasks. He, he told us to be faithful in our sacrifice. You see, why did they offer... Joseph and Mary, the little turtle doves, that was the, the cheapest part in the slaying, offering that allowable in the Levitical law that you could offer for uh, uh, the, the, the coming of your child. The, if, you had, if you had a bullock or a ram or a lamb, that could be offered, but the cheapest for the poor person was two turtle doves. You catch two pigeons in traps and give your two birds. That's all they had to give. But they were faithful on the days appointed to be give sacrifice. 
not only God uses little tasks, but God uses in uh, faithful and sacrifice. But then I want you to notice that we see Jesus, if we go through and hurry through this chapter, which we won't, we get to the last verse of verse 52 of chapter 2, and it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Thirty years goes by, and Jesus was faithful in service. His, his mother and father were faithful in service. Those We call them those silent years from Jesus' age of 12 to 30. We don't know, hear anything about Jesus during that time. Let me give you this point C and then application, we're done. You see, God uses little people in little places with little, doing little things faithfully, doing little tasks, sacrificing, uh, faithful in their service, but then faithful in the simple daily duties of life. You know, a lot of premium is put on, we misjudge, we, we look at, Right now, some of you might think, you're Pastor Shad, you're serving the Lord right now, you're preaching. Well, I, I am trying to serve the Lord, and I happen, to do, I happen to be preaching at the moment. And yes, this is service to the Lord at this moment in time for sure. But I want you to know that you're serving the Lord at the hospital that you work at, at the factory that you work at, at the place of your occupation that God's called you to, because he's called you not to just an occupation, to occupy your time, but a vocation, a life calling to serve the Lord. And Jesus Christ, the king of all the glory, I want you to think about it. His public ministry was how many years, do you know? Some of you know. Come on, help me out. Three, 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 some say three and a half years. He died at 33 years of age, we know. He had a public ministry of three, three years. The boys, Jewish boys at Bar Mitzvah when they're 12 years old. When he was 12 to 30, he was an apprentice in his daddy's workshop. He was the son of the carpenter, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. He was the, he was, he spent six-sevenths of his life doing daily, menial, everyday tasks. Don't underestimate the value and the, the sanctity of work. God's called us to work. Man shall work six days and on the seventh day rest. Work is noble. Work is endearing. Work is for a purpose. Work is to be, to, to glorify God and be faithful in the simple tasks of life. Be faithful wherever God's called you. Don't I, I've met people that have envied and said, oh, I wish I could be a preacher. How about being a Christian? How about just being faithful where you're at? You know, I get to sit in my ivory palace. It's not really ivory palace, but I'm referring to my office. Some of you go to, you go to, you go to a hard place to work, don't you? You hear, you know, I, people don't come into my office and GD this and, G, and JC that. They don't do that. I don't hear profanity and cussing all day long. People are usually at their best behavior when they come in to see me. But you, you're down in the trenches. You're where the reality really hits. You're the privates on the front line. God's called you. God uses delights in using little people in little places, little things, doing little tasks and doing them well, doing them faithfully, sacrificing, faithfully, service, faithfully, simply daily doing their faithful duties of life. The it was a snow-blanketed night in 1903. There was a Canadian by the name of Fred Suffield. Lived along a railroad track. True story. The train in the middle of the night in a blizzard snowstorm, the train engine went out. Passenger train. 
And the folks on the train, they waited all night. Of course, no way of communication, of course, and they were on a part of this desolate part of the tracks. Nobody knew they were at, and they realized they were going to freeze to death if somebody didn't do something. A little lady got out of the, young lady got out of the cab and said, I'm going to find help. Kitty was her name, Kitty Louise. And Kitty walked down the tracks a couple, three miles, and she walked, and she stumbled across. She saw a light, and it was the light of the house of Fred Suffield. She knocked on the door and explained the situation, and they, they uh, got into town eventually, and before the night was over, they had rescue help and emergency people came and they rescued the people on the train. Everybody lived. Kitty and Fred began a relationship, began to write each other, and eventually they got married to fast forward to the story. They walked into a church in Ottawa, Canada. They had a preacher by the name of Shea and led them to the Lord Jesus Christ. They eventually became faithful in the work of God. They became evangelists in themselves. They began, Kitty began to write songs. She wrote many famous songs, by the way, eventually. She wrote, uh, God is still on the throne. In repayment to the pastor that led, led them to the Lord, they, they took in his son. His name was George. They took him in when he was 19 years of age. They were in evangelistic work. One night in an evangelistic meeting in Ottawa, they asked George to sing. He was a 19-year-old boy. They sang, sang a song. And his voice was cracking. His voice was, uh, he couldn't hit the high notes. He was mortified. He sat down. He said, I'll never sing again. Kitty took this 19-year-old teenage boy under her wings and said, no, you can do it better. Why don't you try to just sing a little lower? And she started to work with him. And he started singing. 73 years later in the year 2000, at the age of 92, George would sing in front of the, one of the largest gatherings of Christians in the history of a, the world, for that matter, in Nashville, Tennessee, Year 2000, he'd sing before a guy by the name of Billy Graham would preach. <laughs> he'd sing the song that he learned 73 years early by Kitty that she wrote, Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. In the harvest field not ripened, there's work for all to do. Hark, the voice of God is calling to the harvest calling you. Does the place you're called to labor, New Hartford, Connecticut, Torrington, Burlington, Watertown, wherever you're from, does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it and will not forget his own. When the conflict here is ended and our race on earth is run, he will say, if we are faithful, welcome home, my child, well done. Little as much, can you quote the verse for me? Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. See, God uses little people in the Christmas story and throughout the word of God in little places, doing little things, being faithful, a little task of sacrifice, service, and simplicity of daily, daily activities of life, doing it wholesomely and to the glory of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I know who I am. I'm a little person, not well known. Lord, frankly, I don't want to be known. I want Christ to be known. The angels, the shepherds went and they made known abroad the saying that Christ was born. It wasn't about them, it was about you. Lord, we want everything to be about you. Jesus, you're the name above every name. Lord, I pray for Christians, Lord, that we might be found faithful.
in the little things that you've called us to do, in the little out-of-the-way places of our place of work, our, our hometowns, our houses, that you've, our families that you've called us to. Lord, may we be found faithful. May we be faithful in all in word and in deed, we pray. Pray for those that need to receive Christ as Savior in these moments of invitation this morning. Have your will and way in our midst, we pray. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take our hymn book, I'd like to turn to 219 it is. As we stand.